0: Hi, my name is Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and here's all the key news in the world of battery materials this month. Welcome to July's edition of Recharge, the podcast by Battery Materials Review. After a short break, I'm delighted to welcome my co-presenter, Cormac O'Lera, MD of electros Energy, to run through some of the talking points from the last month. Hi, Cormac. How are you doing? Hi, Matt. All good here. How about yourself? Yep. Good. Thanks. Apologies to regular listeners for the missed month in June. No excuses. I was larging it up on holiday and... uh Cormac was traveling, so... um,
1: I thought you lost your shirt in the uh, Fast Markets Vegas.
0: That was actually after then, but yeah, yeah. I lost some sleep in the Fast Markets Vegas, but uh, didn't lose any shirts, which is probably a good thing. (laughs) But you were missed. Lots of people coming up and saying, where's your partner in crime?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was at the single one previously. Can't go to the mall. But uh, as long as we're both covering them, Matt, we're all right.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll be going to the uh, to the Fast Markets Europe as well. Are, are you going to that one?
1: Are uh, you sure I'm not going like to be sick here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amsterdam. So I'll I'll be in town. Hopefully, I'll be there. Brilliant. We can catch up and discuss BMO more and um, maybe we last time we were on stage together a few times. So that was that was yeah.
0: good. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was good fun. Okay, lots of news this month. Obviously. A little bit of feedback from, from the Fast Markets Conference, but it's been an interesting month in China in terms of sort of developments there.
1: Things are starting to pick up again now, June. So we're seeing battery production close to what we saw in the back end of last year. Mm-hmm. EV sales are back up again from almost 40% dip in January. So uh, yeah, as we discussed in May, we expect H2 would see a bit more pickup. And yeah. we're seeing again... Most things are are, are popping up, well, not most materials, but lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide, more uh, batteries have been produced. So we're getting to those kind of record numbers again.
0: I think one of the things that sort of came out at the Fast Market Conference, which was very interesting, is this inventory build that we've seen in the EV side of the industry. To some extent, if you look at the other parts of the supply chain, lithium carbonate, um, certainly cell manufacturing, Inventory started to mitigate there after the, the the big build towards the end of last year and beginning of this year. So the inventory situation is improving there, but actually we're starting to see inventories grow in the EV part of the supply chain, particularly over the last 12 months. So that's certainly something to sort of keep an eye on. I guess that explains the price cuts that we've been seeing out as the EV manufacturers um, basically trying to sort of push off that inventory level.
1: Price war in there basically throughout the first half of the year, was cutthroat. In June, I believe the leaders of uh, most of the Chinese EV startups uh, uh, and, and incumbents got around the table. I even think uh, Elon might have turned up to that meeting to...
0: Yeah, I think to, Tesla was on that meeting as well. Yeah,
1: to just uh, let's make some agreements here. instead of uh, driving it all into the ground, and, and it was really affecting the industry, as we could see. It's a ripple effect. Anything in the supply chain, ripples throughout.
0: I mean I think it's a, a a really interesting one the the EV development if you will in China. I mean one of the the really interesting things that came out of the last month's data that we have which is May was obviously the launch of the the new BYD mass market vehicle the Seagull and also the the launch of the new Wuling model the Bingo with those two in the top 10 in China and the uh, Wuling Mini Still in there that resulted in a big drop in the average battery size for the top 10 sellers in in the Chinese market I mean you had three mini EVs three or four mini EVs in the top 10 sellers in in China and, and really interesting for the second time this year the Tesla Model 3 was not in the top 10 sellers in China perhaps we are seeing an evolution of the Chinese market towards the low price low-range products at the expense of of potentially the the mid-range and the luxury vehicle space.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Tesla, um, apparently there's been uh, layoffs at the Shanghai factory for the last month or two. Their production has been lower. Interesting in terms of where they lie, but uh, I'm not sure what the reasons for that are. You know, they only uh, export about, is it 10, 15% of the uh, the cars they do produce in China. There's been a lot of recalls and and issues with Tesla's manufacturing in China within China. I don't know if that's part of the sentiment or not, but definitely I believe the brand has lost its luster in China.
0: The other thing that Tesla is dealing with is that, you know, if you look at BYD or Geely or any of the other SAIC, the other big OEMs, they're bringing out new launches all the time. And I think that, you know, the issue with Tesla is, well, the Model 3 has been around for, what, five years? And the Model Y has been around for, what, three or four years? And yeah, they have have run out, you know, updates and improvements during that time. But one of the things that the Chinese market likes is the next big thing. And I think that, you know, if you stick with the same model effectively, eventually you are going to lose market share. And I, I think, you know, Tesla's Tesla's strategy in the, in the Chinese market perhaps looks a little bit, is very much under the microscope at the moment.
1: Yeah. I think the next model they're going to bring out is a revamped version of the model Y and not till mid next year. So that is the next big launch. I believe uh, yeah. So it will be on the same platform, but um, basically modified body. And battery pack could be uh, interesting, though. What what uh, what they're going to use in, in 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 the battery pack? Yeah. Will so they... so
0: rumors yeah. that they're going to look at forty six eighty LFMP by CATL. Yes. So so that's you know that that would be a little bit of a turn up for the books. And a lot of articles in the market at the moment about their forty six eighty high battery in terms of the fact that the energy density is coming in quite light compared to the um the traditional cells that are manufactured by by panasonic that must be a little bit worrying if you're tesla
1: yeah the one of the main issues there is the dry coating um, and right. so they, this all hinged on being successful with dry coating uh, to get 4x on energy that's 4X in cell energy, uh, mm-hmm. over the 21700. But um, using, you know, it's still, a, it's still up for debate, using a 4680 cylindrical format, it's all about um, volumetric efficiency, how much of the space you're utilizing. And so yeah, I've seen some of these articles about the 21700 being moderately close to the 46080, or even uh, like, uh, some of the prismatic cells are also pretty close to mm-hmm. the 4680. I think it all hinges on the success of deploying
0: and coated. the dry coating hasn't been going great for them from what we, we gather. I mean, I understand they sorted out the anode dry coating, but the cathode dry coating is, is still coming up light.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the same. I think they haven't got much further along in terms of, of really solving the issues. You know, mass production, dry coating is a big issue. So some of the, so they, I think to date, they've made, produced 10 million 4680s. Uh, Defect ratio is pretty close to twenty percent, which is you know. Uh, so they were getting eighty percent. That, that's of
0: that's pretty that's pretty standard for for a high nickel battery, isn't it? I mean, high nickel battery defect ratio is probably twenty percent, almost at steady state. And I mean, you know, at startup they can be sort of thirty or forty percent. So it's much you know it's much higher than in a sort of five or six series nickel battery or an LFP, which is which is much lower than that.
1: Yes, high nickel is very hard to work with, for sure. And uh, that that is one of the issues as well. It's interesting you bring up the LFMP. Yeah, so another stumbling block in the 4680 is that they're tied in. To get this uh, high energy density, they're tied into high nickel as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, let's talk about LFMP because a lot of excitement about that at the moment, and it was mentioned a number of times during the Fast Markets Conference. In terms of being a successor to LFP with a what 20 to 30 percent higher energy density, both a cell and a pack level. And you know, if if LFMP gets off the ground, surely that's the death knell for sodium ion in terms of vehicle applications because the energy density is, as I say, 20 to 30 percent higher than LFP, and that surely takes LMFP away from sodium ion, in terms of economics i don't think so sodium ion is definitely going to have its niche
1: you can't buy an lfmp battery today really um just yeah. coming
0: into commercial production
1: the chinese lfp cathode producers the cathode material producers are still mm-hmm. figuring out how to make it i mean so maybe you can get a commercial on a small scale in the mp3 format from our mm-hmm. m3p format from catl but I've been reading up recently. Alex, a lot of the the biggest LFP cam makers are obviously you know. So we'll be talking about something else uh, this time next year, I'm sure. But pivoting are trying to introduce LfMP into their um, into their into their um, production, but mm. it, the synthesis and the uh, process is much different to producing LFP. Uh, so they're having uh, real issues scaling up LfMP production. Okay, um, and a,
0: and a couple of the uh, high purity manganese producers at the conference, we're very excited by the fact that potentially LFMP would would utilize high purity manganese. But digging into that in a little bit more detail, I get the impression that in China, you could use selenium-containing manganese to produce LFMP, even if that wasn't environmentally acceptable in the Western world. No, I haven't come
1: across that now. So yeah. As far as I know, in terms of production, I know those companies are trying to scale it up or using it a little bit cheaper and using electrolytic manganese?
0: Yeah. Is that so selenium that's, obviously, that's obviously lower cost because you don't have to go for the higher purity route. And for the electrolytic manganese, you can go the same route as, for instance, the steel industry. But generally, steel industry materials can't be used in high purity battery applications because they've got too much selenium and selenium is deleterious and results yeah. in dendrite formation in in the cells so it's just very very interesting to understand it's going to be very very important for the high purity manganese sector whether electrolytic manganese metal emm can be used which does contain selenium or whether it's got to be selenium free high purity msm manganese sulfate monohydrate or uh, So, you know, whether it's high purity material, selenium free, or whether it's lower purity material that can contain selenium is going to be very important in terms of supply demand balances, because there's shed loads of lower purity material around the world. But there ain't a hell of a lot of higher material that's suitable for producing high purity manganese.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen anyone kind of in the scale up these are companies trying to get into lfmp rather than mm. only the ip and uh, you know i haven't even seen use a manganese sulfate is that a um primary source of manganese you're seeing
0: in cells yeah so um high purity manganese sulfate so hp msm for high high nickel cells definitely and increasingly also for you know the the nm cell and high purity cells so Whereas, obviously, for LMO batteries, you can use less pure products.
1: LMO and the LFP is basically the LFMP, right? Um, yeah. And, and so the the issues they're having with the LFMP is the similar issues to having LMO. Yeah. Which is, um,
0: and I understood that sort of Goshen is looking to be in commercial production for LFMP by the end of the year. But, but yeah, you, I
1: saw that. Yeah. i um, not sure where their source of LFMP is coming from, but uh, right. I was referring earlier to just the LFP cathode. So in the last two years, there's been like close to 6 million tons of LFP production uh, being announced, most of that in China. and. Um, none of that was lfmp to begin with so there's been a slight pivot there to address the market but as far as i know it's difficult to convert existing production capacity for lfmp i'm not sure i think uh, i'm not sure goshen suppliers but there is you know there is small amounts of lfmp available mm-hmm. in the market but i think goshen's lfmp is like something like 210 or 220 watt hours per kilogram cell level it's phenomenal
0: yeah i mean it's it's really good uh really good material and it, it it stacks up very powerfully at the pack level as well. So it'd be really interesting to see, you know, if they can get that into commercial production, that could make a, quite a material difference. A lot of these cars that use LFP batteries and, and have sort of mediocre ranges could use LFMP batteries and have pretty reasonable ranges for, for a reasonable cost. And that could make a big difference to the economics of the industry.
1: Yeah, you know, LFMP and LFP have the same theoretical capacity. Mm. That's not the same as energy density. The difference is the higher voltage of the LMFP. When you look at them on paper, uh, chemically, they're quite similar, but the voltage performance really makes a difference. And and cycle life is quite similar as well.
0: Okay, let's keep a watching brief on that. And uh, we will definitely come back if there's any more intelligence on that. Just on lithium, obviously, the the Fast Markets Conference is primarily a lithium conference, but absolutely bowled away at the conference by the amount of focus in the lithium market. So, you know, this conference was 600 participants last year, uh, 1,100 participants this year. Um, The number of new lithium companies, lithium projects out there is really just amazing but i think now the focus is going to be in terms of speed to market because there's a lot of projects out there but it's going to be a question of who can get to the market and and how fast and i I think you know now we're starting to see some pretty interesting data points coming in particularly around dle there's been quite a lot of spin but the the recent data points have not been great Capital costs going really quite far up. anecdotal reports that operating costs are higher than than people are expecting. And I think you you know the, these new technologies that are coming in, you have to question when they're going to be available in the market and and whether they're going to be as as profitable as as many commentators are suggesting. But also with the new wave of lithium projects as well, you know when they come into the market, is going to be very, very important. And, and even though, you know, we have raised our lithium supply forecasts and, and slightly lowered our long-term price, the big caveat behind that is how how these projects get financed because we still have a situation where not enough projects are getting financed.
1: Yeah, that was a lot there, Matt. So <laughs> I, I asked you earlier, uh, how many... How many new lithium companies have come in? As I say, I can't keep I can't keep count anymore. I even keep an eye. Well, on I, I I struggle. Uh, Let's talk about the UK first.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I only I only track the, the the companies that have got resources. To tell you the yeah. truth, and uh, you know, very few in the exploration side that look uh, that look very interesting. But I only really start tracking companies once they've delineated a resource, and then you know, past that, I take a view as to how viable their technological development is and uh, you know sort of look into what depth the resource is what thickness it is you know all of these things are very important when you're when you're analysing resources, and uh, you know we're, we're very much aware of the fact that a lot of people in the industry don't really have this experience, and it's one of the reasons why I wrote the How to Invest in in Hard Rock Lithium report, which is available on our website. It's a snip at twenty pounds, but you know if if people are interested in investing in lithium, I I would suggest that they they buy the report because it will hopefully help you to avoid some of the mistakes of investing that people do make in in cycles like this and i will just flag that you know i've been a analyst investor now for 20 years and one of the the key issues in these sort of secular demand events like we're having now in battery raw materials is what we call misallocation of capital whereby you know people stick a lot of money into to stocks that don't necessarily succeed and and you know when they go to zero people are like well why did I invest in that company? And I think it's very, very important in this industry where there is a finite amount of capital and we're just not uh, attracting the amount of, of capital that we need, that people understand what the risks are. Because I see a lot of non-expert capital in the industry going into stocks that are unsuitable for it. And, you know, we've seen that a lot. We've seen that a lot in the US with regards to a lot of these um. EV and battery technology SPACs that came to the market 2020, 2021, that have literally gone bankrupt. They've gone to zero and investors have lost a lot of money. So I think it really is important that investors understand the risks of the companies that they're investing in.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think we're seeing at a kind of a micro or uh, macro level in Africa with the Chinese they went in there, lithium all-time high. Uh, mm beginning to set up and explore projects. And as soon as the, uh, the, the price dropped, they're out again. And so they invested, the projects have gone dead. Uh, mm. There's court cases in various African countries now uh, with Chinese miners trying to get money back out of the country or deposits back, uh, you know. So it's it gone a little crazy, but it just shows you uh, similar to the investing strategy you're talking about, this price is high, they invested in various mines around Africa and now are trying to get out.
0: Yeah, well, I, th- I think the other thing that's, that, that comes out very clearly from my analysis is certainly a number of successful African operations where the Chinese have invested materials coming to the market faster than, than we previously anticipated. And we did um, a big article in Brazil, big focus article in Brazil in the last issue of, of BMR in June. And I think, you know, there's potential for some of these Brazilian projects to come to the market very fast as well either next generation Brazilian projects, not, not the ones that are coming into production this year. So I think there is a the potential for more plain vanilla hard rock projects to come into the market than perhaps we previously expected, which does have an impact in terms of medium-term price expectations for lithium. If you want some more of that, very much uh, subscribe to Battery Materials Review because I go through all of that uh, in this month's issue, but uh, I won't that overemphasize that now. Saw so the bit you wrote about
1: the costs of certain DLE operations per ton, let's say, of Almost DLE projects now come with either energy generation or heat generation as Products, sellable yeah. byproduct. Yeah. Is that factored into the cost of production of LC?
0: That's factored into the operating costs for certain. And uh, you know, it'd be quite interesting to sort of look at some of these things with the operating costs or the byproduct credits from heat generation backed out. But of course, that only works where you've got a geothermal DLE project, so where you've got a a salar DLE project, it's a sort of, um, you know, normal temperature fluid, so you're not going to get that sort of byproduct. But, you know, noticeable this month, or rather in June, a couple of sort of DLE projects came out with sort of $1.5 billion, $2 billion CapEx bills. And you know, that's that's out with the affordability for most juniors. My God. So I remember uh, when DLE came around, it was supposed to slash
1: costs. Yeah. Um, it seems the opposite.
0: Well, yes, I mean, and, and, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the issue. When you realistically sit down and do the numbers in detail, things look a little bit different to how they did on the back of a, the envelope when you were doing your scoping study. And uh, I, yeah. I think, you know, that's what a lot of these, sort of DLE projects are are, are, are sort of finding that the, the capital cost bill is quite a lot of, um, more significant than than they were thinking. And but what worries me is that the operating cost bill is going to be higher as well because I mean most DLE projects require either fresh water or acid. That's not easily obtainable in the high Andes in Argentina or the high andes in, in Chile or Bolivia. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens with these projects going forward.
1: Yeah, it's interesting times, all right. But um couldn't agree with you more. I think Hard, cro- hard Rock is emerging as a champion in the near term. Again, it's getting uh, almost second life. It's a, The American has an appetite for it. it used to be brines were going to be the major source, LCE, but to bring projects on quickly, as you said, on time, reasonable uh, costs hard rock seems, seems to be it for now.
0: The other thing, you know, to be aware of is obviously this lipidolite, uh, which we've talked about in the past. One of the other swing producers right up your street, Cormac uh, recycling. The thing to be aware of on the recycling side, and we've seen it on, in China over the course of this year, is that recycling is generally in the higher part of the cost curve and obviously when prices go down some recycling operations become less profitable or unprofitable and that's certainly what we saw over the course of the beginning of this year we saw a big drop in uh, derived product from from recycling lithium i think that's very important to consider we have a, a chunk now of the cost curve that is economic at prices like we're seeing at the moment and uneconomic uh, uh, prices below, say, thirty dollars a kilogram. So we've got a big chunk of of swing capacity in lithium market. If prices are uh, north of forty dollars a kilogram, it's economic. If they're south of thirty dollars a kilogram, it's not economic. So we are, you know, developing quite a, tri- a clear trading range. I think going forward.
1: Yeah, there was a reason why they used to just chuck out the lithium when they were recycling batteries four yeah. years ago well, five years well ago. in the old days
0: <laughs> yeah. when lithium was sort of eight or nine dollars a kilogram and and, and and cobalt was like you know 30 or 35 dollars yeah. a kilogram you can you can understand where they're coming from but of course if, if lithium is you know 40 50 60 dollars a kilogram it makes a lot of sense to uh to recycle it
1: yeah well yeah feedback from the market is they, uh, especially in North Asia, they just want the lithium carbonate. What they really want from the material is the lithium carbonate. You know about North Asian carbonate prices, but that's what they're mainly interested at the moment at these prices. Not so concerned about the nickel and cobalt. It all depends on price of metals, but you know, we're not, not me, but the recycling industries, you know, mandated so there'll be government dumping fees or, you know, if, if worse came to worse batteries still have to be recycled. Someone's going to get paid to do it. And we have recycled material content to, uh, to keep the industry afloat for the next uh, 10 years at least.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the sort of economics of the recycling industry end up sort of working out over time. I mean, you know, do, do the recyclers get paid effectively like toll treaters or, yeah. you know, can they source waste material for, for a very low cost and book in a margin. I think all of these mechanisms are up in the air and it's going to be quite interesting to see how it sort of drops out over time.
1: The mining incumbents are involved, right, and uh, as well. And they, if they, they get the model they want, it'll be kind of a tolling model for sure. Mm. I mean, that's traditional keeping. Why change things? But, and and uh... I think the
0: nice thing about the tolling model is it's it's consistent. You know, as a recycler, you know what you're going to get if you're if you're in a in a consult um a, a tolling model, and also your investors know what you're going to get, and it's very easy to model. You you know, if you're going to get a, a yeah. fixed margin, effectively, you know, you're going to bank that fixed margin. If you go with different methodologies, then it becomes a little bit more difficult for investors to model that. So. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out.
1: Yeah, well, you know, they, one of the stumbling blocks to that would be everybody wants to vertically integrate now. From miners, you know, you got Gangfang, right? Lithium miner, also battery producer, cam maker. I mean, uh, so BYD, that's one of the reasons BYD is second in global battery production now. Uh, yeah. They're their own best customer. But yeah, it's uh, everybody wants a bigger slice of this pie. So I don't know what your feelings are on vertical integration, but... There's not a single company doing one thing anymore, not even the recycling companies. You have Unicore Recycling Company, also a cathode maker, but they've been doing that for a long time. BSF, not a recycling company, but have been doing recycling. But our are maker, cam maker. All the Chinese companies who are involved in recycling are mm. PCAM producers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I think vertical integration, obviously, is is something that, that interests the upstream part of the industry as well. I mean, you know, in the old days, you had the... Um, hard rock producers now a lot of those are moving downstream into lithium hydroxide lithium carbonate manufacturers yeah. so i think that you know people are very keen to be integrated because it allows them to bank higher profitability but obviously yeah. it also exposes them to more cyclicality if 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 prices are up and down
1: yeah what do you think about the vertical integration of the hard rock producers in australia is that a good or is that a good metric to see whether we can have uh, lithium chemical uh, plants here outside China, so lithium hydroxide,
0: well, for example. I it's think not, Australia not is I'm, I'm probably gonna get uh, I don't, want to say, yeah, I don't know to I'm probably it. gonna get abused for this, but I think Australia is is probably one of the less economic countries in the world to to build a lithium refinery because power prices in Australia are quite high and it's power intensive industry lithium refinery so you know while the mines are there and it's great the power prices are quite high and also the bulk of the converters slash refineries are quite a long way away from the mine so you know um it's going to be interesting to see how it works and obviously that they've had some teething problems the 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 refineries that have gone on i'm sure you know, they'll sort themselves out and it, it, it you know, it makes, it makes money for the Spodgamine producers and it and makes financial sense for them to go integrated because they're obviously banking a lot more of the profitability of the operations. So I think it, it will be an increasing trend in the industry, but that doesn't mean that you can't make a fair amount of money by not being integrated. So, you know, a spodumene concentrate producer can still be highly profitable, thank you very much, without yeah. being integrated. And obviously, by adding the conversion capacity, you're adding a huge amount of capex to your project, and you're also adding a huge amount of, of technology risk and, and operating yeah. risk. Um, whereas if you're just a targeting production of spodumene concentrate, you know, your capital intensity is much lower, and and so is your your, your technology and your operating risk. So, I, I, I you know I'm, I don't think that everybody needs to be fully integrated.
1: Yeah, you know, even for spotting concentrate, right? There's new technologies have been developed also to lower the energy intensity of you know, that as well. You know, so yeah. all across the supply chain, even up the cell makers, that's one of the reasons uh, there's issues in uh, build out is that like LFP, for example, your production line might be obsolete in two or three years' time. So yeah. chemistry choices, is, uh, there's a lot of risk. But I was originally referring to the refineries. I was talking about the difficulty in producing battery grade, right? We all say we can do it in Europe. We can do it in the U.S. But... Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think that's you know very important consideration. And I mean, you know, it's noticeable that a lot of the new brine producers that are coming on over the next couple of years are really struggling to produce battery grade material certainly for the first 12, 18, 24 months of operation. So it's going to be very, very interesting going forward. And I think the differentiation between battery-grade material and non-battery-grade material is not really understood by the market. And a lot of bulge-bracket analysts in particular tend to lump all lithium in together. and
1: I always fall for the same trap as well when I read like uh, resource and potential LCE recovery. All right nameplate, I'll just take that as the number, you know,
0: well, I mean, it's very interesting, I mean, I've been looking at my um, numbers for for Chinese lithium carbonate production at the moment, and it's very noticeable that um, the Chinese lithium carbonate industry is is currently running at about 60% of nameplate capacity and, and, you know, hasn't yeah. really got materially above that over the last couple of years. And, you know, it, one of the things yeah. that we as sector specialists always whinge about is that, you know, a lot of non-specialist analysts, they include the capacity of new projects in their model, not yeah. an assumption of what the production will be. And that's very, very dangerous because it's overstating supply. And uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that supply is actually as high as as many people are suggesting.
1: Yeah, and capacity us- utilization, though. In China, LFP plants 60%. CATL cell manufacturers, about 60 to 7% yeah. of capacity utilization, even the EV manufacturers.
0: I think that the whole capacity utilization issue is an interesting one. And I mean, one of the things that we picked up in battery materials review that we've written on a lot over the last couple of months is this overbuild in the LFP yeah. supply chain in particular, and yeah. it is impacting capacity utilization and therefore it is impacting profitability for a lot of these companies. It's going to be very interesting to see where that goes going forward, particularly for the sort of second and third tier producers, because they're, you know, in the cell space, for instance, there is a huge differentiation between the tier one producers that are running at sort of 70 to 80 percent capacity utilization and the lower tier producers that might be running at sort of 50 to 60 percent capacity utilization. And that really impacts your profitability.
1: Yeah, exactly so. You know, where's all this new capacity going to go? But we can answer that next month, I guess. We'll talk about Uh, that
0: next month. In the meantime, we will go back to our lives. We will thank all of our listeners for listening. We will be back next month. We're not taking any more seven breaks. And uh, I will say uh, thank you very much to Cormac.
1: Thank you, Matt. Talk to you next month.
0: So that brings us to the end of our podcast for July. As always, you can get more detail on any of the topics we've discussed in the latest issue of Battery Materials Review, which you can find at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. I'm Matt Fernley, Editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening.